right, well, welcome to Living Hope Church. Welcome to those of you uh, joining us online. Today we're wrapping up our series, Summer in the Psalms. Um, it's been a series that I have enjoyed, and I hope you've enjoyed in taking taken something from as well. But today we're going to be in Psalm 57, if you would like to head in that direction. And Psalm 57 is yet another Psalm of David's, but it comes from a different phase of life than many of his other Psalms. Uh, of the Psalms of David that we have looked at in this series, they've all come from when David was the king of Israel. Well, that's not Psalm 57. The context for Psalm 57 is this. David, at this point in his life, has killed Goliath. He has been anointed as the next king of Israel by Samuel. He has established himself as a warrior and leader of men. His popularity is growing within the nation. I mean, it seems like things are going pretty good for David. Well, King Saul does not like that David's popularity is growing. He does not like that he has been anointed as the next king. And so King Saul decides to take matters into his own hands. And he sends his army on a manhunt to kill David. And so when David writes this psalm, he is on the run from the king's army, and he is hiding in a cave. Did we get that? David is going to write this psalm of faith, of refuge, of praise, and he's going to write it from a cave as he is hiding for his life. If you want the backstory for that, you can read about this in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 22. And we don't know how long David is in the cave, but this is not a passing thing. It was days, weeks, maybe months. Scholars estimate that David is on the run for his life from King Saul for the better part of a decade. And it's in, it, it is 15 years from when he's anointed to be the next king to when he becomes king. And for most of that, he's running for his life. Now, I don't know about you, but many of us have had a rough year and a half, and we're ready to give up and throw in the towel. David here is running for his life. People are trying to kill him. He's living in caves for 10 years here, and yet he has so much faith, so much belief in God that he trusts him and praises him even from the cave. But the reality is, I, reality is I, know, I know many of us here, we're in a cave right now. We're hiding. We're, we're running. The trial is there. There is something going on in our lives, in our families' lives, at our work, in the world, and we are feeling the weight of it. Like the cave, things are dark. It's a struggle to see the light, to see hope, to see a purpose and a reason. We don't know where to turn. We're tired and we're done running. I know I'm feeling that way at times right now. There are so many aspects of life where I have way more questions and way more worries than I have answers. And I know many of you there are there as well. So where do we turn when we're in the cave? When we're in the wilderness, when we're searching for answers? That's where David is, and the threat on his life is likely greater than we'll ever experience in this life. But what is so incredible about this psalm is David's response. Even though he is hiding in a cave with a king hunting him down, David's not going to write a psalm of lament or complaint. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm in the cave, I write psalms of complaint. I question God. I look for a way out, but that's not David's response. Instead, David is going to write a psalm of praise and glory for his God. David's chief desire from the cave is not his deliverance, but it is that God would be known and praised throughout the nations and throughout the world. And what we're going to see here is, as we look at this psalm, is the faith David had that freed him to lift his eyes from his circumstances to the God of this world. So we're in Psalm 57. And we're going to start in verse 1. David writes, Have mercy on me, my God, have mercy on me. For in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to God most high, to God who vindicates me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. I am in the midst of lions. 
I am forced to dwell among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the people. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we uh, come to this psalm, Lord, I know that there are many of us that are walking through the wilderness, that are in the cave alongside David. And God, I pray uh, for those in that situation, Lord, that you would help us to see your faithfulness and your goodness, to see your character and your promises. And Lord, that you would allow us and help us to lift our eyes from our circumstances to who you are. Lord, that we would learn from David how to do that, and that we would join him in praising you even from the cave. God, we thank you for your character. We thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. We thank you for your love. We thank you that we can confidently place our faith in you. Lord, and that you alone are our deliverer and our savior. God, we love you. We praise you. And it's your name we pray. Amen. So oftentimes we believe that having faith in the midst of a trial means downplaying the trial. It means ignoring the trial. It means not acknowledging that the trial exists. We think to have faith in God is to act as if the trial, the cave, the challenge, the disappointment, the hurt isn't real. That's not what we see from David. He is in an awful spot. He is hiding and running for his life as a fugitive from the king. His army is after him, and he acknowledges. Look at verse 4. David says, I am in the midst of lions. I am forced to dwell among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. He calls those trying to kill him lions as they hunt him. He's hiding in the midst of lions. They are not gentle lions, but they have teeth as sharp as arrows and tongues as sharp as swords. The threat is real. It's frightening. It's uncomfortable. The future is unknown. These men hunting him down are more than capable, and they desire to kill him. So our, our first point today is simple, but it's, it's just this, that the trials and challenges of life are real. Like I said, I know that seems simple and obvious, but having faith in the cave, in the trial, is not ignoring it. But it's trusting that God is greater than the trial, greater than the hurt, greater than the challenge. So we can be honest and acknowledge that whatever trial, whatever cave we are hiding in is real and it is hard. Life at times is hard. At times it's unfair, it's difficult. There are sad and scary days we face. Trusting in God is not ignoring the realities of life. The medical situation you're walking through is scary and unfair. The loss of a friend or relationship is painful and it's sad. The difficulty at your job is real, it's challenging. It might feel like there is no end in sight. David ran for 10 years. There had to have been times where he was convinced the running would never end. And if it were to end, it would end in his death. Whatever the trial, the difficulty, the valley, the cave you're in, it's all right and it's proper to acknowledge the challenge and difficulty just as David did. But what is David's response to the cave, to the trial? And what is our typical response to the challenge, to the difficulty? I think when life gets difficult, we all respond in different ways. For some of us, we just do this. We try and ignore it. Others of us, we are runners. When life gets hard, when a problem arises, we quit and we run. 
We run from the problem. We move from the neighborhood. We quit the job. We quit the team. Others of us are people, we, we bunker down. We focus on ourselves and our families and the things that feel in our control. And we abandon all other commitments and all other things God has called us to when life is hard. Others of us, we attack the problem. And we try to solve it that day. But unfortunately, there are some problems like 10 years of running for your life that you can't solve in a day. Others of us, we just worry when things are hard. When a problem, a trial, a difficulty is out of our control, we worry about it nonstop. And it controls all of our thinking. Others of us try to, to minimize the difficulty. Instead of acknowledging the challenge, we compare it to others and we minimize it. We get the diagnosis of an illness and we say, well, it's not terminal cancer, so what do I have to complain about? We lose a friendship or, or someone we love moves away and we say, well, they're not dead. What do I have to be sad about? We don't get the promotion at work and we say, well, I still have a job, so there's nothing to be disappointed about. We compare our challenge to the extreme and instead of processing and acknowledging the hurt and the challenge, we minimize it and we make ourselves feel guilty for feeling sad, overwhelmed, hurt, and so on. What's your natural response to the cave, the difficulty? I know I see my natural responses in there. But what is David's and, and what, is it, what is his response model for us? And that's what we're going to see next. So we can acknowledge the difficulty, but then how do we respond? Let's look at verse 1. David says, have mercy on me, my God, have mercy on me. For in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. David's response to Christ is to find his refuge in God. His faith is so deep, his trial is so difficult that David recognizes that God alone is big enough and can provide refuge in the midst of the situation. So our first response to the difficulty, to the cave, is that in the midst of trial, we find refuge in God alone. And the word refuge here means safe place. In the midst of difficulty, David finds his refuge not in his personal resources, not in the cave, which is providing his temporary physical protection. He doesn't find his refuge in an army or his wealth. He doesn't find his refuge in his skills, but he finds his refuge in God alone. And the imagery here is the same imagery we had in Psalm 91. David says, you will protect me in the shadow of your wings, just as a mother bird gathers and protects her chicks with her wings. David says, you will be my refuge. You will be my safe place. You will protect me from all the things, the people, the circumstances that are trying to hurt me. It's in your love, in your character, in you alone that I will find my refuge. David writes this, and, and that sounds great, but remember his circumstances. David here is hiding in a cave. He's being pursued by the king of the nation with arrows flying at him. And he says, with all that's going on around me, I will trust in you alone to be my refuge, to be my safe place. David recognizes that his circumstances are overwhelming. The odds are long, but he is confident in his God. David is confident that God cares for him, that God loves him, that God will fulfill his purposes and his promises. David trusts in God's covenant love and his faithfulness, and he trusts that God will provide his refuge. You think about your life. When circumstances are overwhelming, are you prone to doubt? Or are you confident that God will provide? When you look at your circumstances, are you confident that God can really change them and make them better? And even if he chooses not to, are you confident that God is good and he will accomplish his purposes for your life and the world? Are you confident that God is and will use your difficult circumstances for good, for his glory, to grow you in your faith and to proclaim his name to the world? Sounds easy on a Sunday. It sounds easy when we're reading a psalm. But if I'm, to be, if I'm being honest, and if we're being honest, I am easily overwhelmed by my circumstances. I am prone to doubt. 
My tendency is to shake my fist at God as opposed to trusting Him and turning to Him as my refuge. So if you're more like me than David and you struggle to trust God as your refuge when the world is falling apart, I want to just give us some practical steps that we can take to lift our eyes from our circumstances to the God of the universe who is creator, who loves you, and who alone is worthy and able to be your refuge. So the first thing we can do when we're in the cave or in those difficult circumstances is not to ignore or minimize the hard things that God is allowing in our life, but acknowledge them and then make the choice to continue to serve and praise God. Continue to do the things that God has called you to do, even when it's hard and you don't feel like it. Continue to read your Bible. Continue to come to church. Continue to sing praise. Continue to serve others even when you don't feel like it. And then as you read your Bible and memorize passages of Scripture, uh, memorize passages of Scripture that remind you of God's character and His promises, that remind you of His love and His goodness and His power. Because, you see, we have to let the truths of Scripture and God rule our lives and dictate our direction and decisions, not our feelings and not our circumstances. Our feelings will come and go, but God's truth never changes. For example, your feelings may tell you that no one sees your faithfulness, but the Bible reminds us that the Lord sees and knows all that we do. Your feelings may say that you are weak, that you are a failure. The Bible reminds us that in our weakness, God will sustain us and give us strength. Our feelings may say that this situation is impossible and I'm so overwhelmed. The Bible reminds us that nothing is impossible with God. We have to be people who are not ruled by our emotions, but are ruled by the truths of God. And then lastly, I would encourage you just to get out a pen and a piece of paper. Open a note on your iPhone and just start recording all the times that God has been faithful to you in the past. Write down the times in the past when your circumstances were overwhelming, but God provided as your refuge. Write down personal stories of God's goodness and his faithfulness. As I think about David and his faithfulness, I, I have to believe that part of the reason that David remained faithful is that he remembered God's faithfulness in the past. In the cave, I'm sure David remembered how it felt to stand before a giant with a sling and a stone, and yet God provided. I'm sure he remembered the times that he was all alone, and God provided as he protected his sheep. I'm sure he remembered the day that Samuel came and anointed him as the next king, and he trusted that God would fulfill his promise. He remembered the faithful friend, Jonathan, that God used to alert him of Saul's plans. And he remembered God's faithfulness on past nights when he had been on the run. Take time to remember God's faithfulness and find your assurance in Him. And then trust your current circumstances and your future to Him as well. When you're struggling to trust God, spend time with His people. Read His Word. Remember His character, His promises. Remember His past faithfulness, faithful, faithfulness to you. And then pray, casting your anxieties, worries, and circumstances on Him, as Peter says in 1 Peter. When you feel like running, quitting, giving in, or worrying, seek God. Trust Him as your refuge, even in the midst of difficulty. I love what Spurgeon said about verse 4. Spurgeon said, if you are among lions, you will have fellowship with Jesus and His church. If you are among lions, you will be driven nearer to your God. If you are among lions, remember that God has the lions on a leash. All right, the second thing we see about David's faith in the cave is that he not only trusted God, but he was confident in the promises of God. Now, these two words seem similar, but there's a difference. Trust is when we pass on responsibility and we rely on someone else. So David passed the pressures, the responsibility, the fear, the worry to God, believing that God was capable to handle it. Confidence, on the other hand, is the assurance 
the belief that future events will turn out as promise, as expected based on previous experiences. So David trusted the results to God, and he was confident that God would fulfill his promises. So that's our next point. When we are in the cave, live with confidence that God will keep his promises. We see this throughout the psalm. Let's look at verses 2 and 3 real quick. David writes, I cry out to God most high, to God who vindicates me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. I love what Guzik said about this as David lifted his eyes to the God. He said that he wrote that, that David came to the cave alone and God was his only help. Yet he was confident, knowing as a military man the strategic value of high ground in battle. He looked for help from the Most High who occupied the greatest high ground of all, which is heaven. David begins by focusing on who God is. God is Most High. He is sovereign. He sins from heaven. He sees all that is going on and he is powerful over it. David is confident in God because of who God is. His confidence comes from God's character and his past faithfulness. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm in the cave, when I'm in the trial, my tendency is to develop tunnel vision and focus and worry and think on the problem. Think on the trial. Think on the hurt. Focus on myself. I'm sure David had the same temptation to focus on the running, to fear for his life, to grumble about the dark, rocky, miserable cave, to ask God why. Why can't I just be king now? Why does this have to be so hard? And I would guess that David had those moments and was tempted to dwell in those moments, but his confidence comes as he lifts his eyes to the character of God. When he lifts his eyes, he is reminded that God is greater than his circumstances. He is reminded that God is sovereign over his life and his circumstances. He is reminded of God, God's promises over his life and that God will be faithful to fulfill them. God has anointed him as king. He can't die in a cave. But that doesn't make the cave, the running, the fear any less. But it instills confidence that God is still with him, that God hasn't abandoned him, that God still has plans and purposes for his life. This reminds me of the, the quote that we had a few weeks back from Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott, who was a missionary to the Huarani people of Ecuador, wrote this. He said, I am immortal until my work on earth is done. As long as God has you here, he will protect you, care for you, sustain you until your work is done or until he calls you home. So when you're in the dark valley, when you're in the cave, when you are overwhelmed, when you're in the trial, you and I, along with David, have to lift our eyes to God, to his character, to his promises, and find our confidence in him and not our character. And we do this by dwelling on the character of God, by reminding ourselves of his promises in our life. Last week, or last fall, we did a series on the promises of God. We talked about God's promise of good, his, his promises over our worries and over our future, over our eternity, his promise of peace and his promises in Jesus. Go back and listen to those and remind yourself of God's promises, which are just as applicable in the cave as they are when life is good. Lift your eyes, be reminded of who God is. Focus on his character and his promises and find your confidence in him. That's what, that's what David did. And as he focused on God, he became confident that God would fulfill his promises. Verse 3, David says, he sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. David is confident that God will sovereignly send from heaven and save him. Now, that didn't mean he would save him in the moment, the next day, or even the next month. David was on the run for a decade. Uh, from a worldly perspective, we would have put our money on Saul and his armies, but David was confident because God orchestrates and controls it all. 
He was confident that God would fulfill his promises and purposes for his life, which included being king. The reality is we can have the same confidence because in our lives, God has already fulfilled verse 3. If we are a follower of Jesus, God has already sent forth his love and his faithfulness in the form of Jesus. We have experienced the ultimate salvation, love, and faithfulness of God. We have already been saved from our greatest threat, our greatest danger, our greatest trial, which was sin. As sinful men and women, we were separated from God, and yet God, in his love for us, sent Jesus to die the death we deserved, to give us life while we were still sinners. So we can know and we can be confident in our future because the God of the universe that is holy and righteous so loved us that he sent Jesus while we were still sinners. So we can be confident in our current trials because God has already given us victory through Jesus over our greatest trial. If we were to die today, we could already proclaim and celebrate verse 3. God sent from heaven and he saved me. He sent forth his love and his faithfulness in Jesus so that I might be saved, so that I might experience life in him. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have experienced verse 3. And because of that, you can be confident that God will save, that he will protect, that he will use your current circumstances for your good and his glory. In the midst of the cave, in the midst of the, the trial, we can be confident in God, in his purposes, in his provision, because he has already proven himself worthy. So in the midst of difficult circumstances, we have to shift our focus from ourselves and what is happening to God and find our confidence in him. If you dwell on and think about the problems in your life, they will feel overwhelming and out of control. So as believers, we are called to focus not on the cave, not on the circumstances, not on the people failing us and the world crashing down around us. We must focus on God who is in control of all things. We do that again practically by, by continuing to keep God as our focus, by coming to church, by reading your Bible, by praying, by keeping the truths of God in front of you, that you're focused on Him and not the circumstances. Allow God to meet you in the dark times and be your refuge, your light, and your hope. We've got to say this, but if you're here today or you're watching online and you are not yet a follower of Jesus, we want you to know that He loves you that he sent his love and faithfulness to save you in the form of Jesus. And Jesus so loved you that he died the death that your sin deserves. He rose victorious over death so that you might have eternal life in him. He has come to save you. But you must repent and turn from your sin and trust that Jesus is who he said he was. And trust in him as your hope, your salvation, your eternal life. And you can do that today. And the Bible says that if you do that, he will be faithful to forgive you, to save you, to give you life and give you purpose. But if you have questions about that or would like to take that step, I would love to talk with you after the service. Then the last thing we see in this psalm is what David's purpose and desire was even in the midst of the cave. If I were to put myself in David's shoes, my purposes and desires would have revolved around me. I would have desired safety. I would have desired comfort. I would have desired a good meal, relief from the pressure and worry of running for my life, different circumstances for my enemies to be defeated. I know those are the things that I, I chiefly desire when I'm walking through difficult times. I want answers. I want safety. I want comfort. I want it all to go away. But what we see in this passage is that even in the midst of difficult, almost unimaginable circumstances, David's primary purpose and desire is to see God glorified in his life and his name shared with the world. Let's look at it. Verse 5. David writes, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. My heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. 
Awake, my soul, awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Isn't that amazing? What a picture. David's in the cave on the run for his life. And David's response is, grab the harp, grab the lyre, grab the guitar, because I have to praise my God because he is worthy. The picture is David with his instruments at the mouth of the cave, praising God and proclaiming how great God is over his enemies and to the nations. What an amazing picture. David is confident that God will rescue him, but he doesn't know when or how, but that's enough for David. So even in the midst of the greatest, greatest trial of his life that's going to last for a decade, he says, I will praise you, God, for, for who you are, and I won't keep it to myself. I will proclaim it to the nations because your love is great and you are worthy. In the midst of the cave, David's chief purpose and desire is to praise God and make him known. And so that's our final point. Even in the cave, even in the midst of the cave, our primary purpose is to praise God and make him known. I love what G. Campbell Morgan uh, wrote about this in his commentary. He said, faith lifts us high above the personal sense of pain and creates in us a passion for the exaltation of God among the nations. In the cave, faith doesn't lead to a pity party. It doesn't lead us to run. It doesn't lead us to quit and give up. It doesn't lead us to worry. But faith in the midst of the cave, in the midst of difficulty, lifts our eyes to the God of the universe, and it leads us to praise Him, to exalt Him, and to share His name with our neighbors and to the nations. And what a testimony it is when we praise and trust God with confidence in the cave. Anyone can praise God when life is good. But our testimony is magnified when we still praise, when we still exalt, and we still proclaim His name. From the mouth of the cave. David desired rescue. He desired saving from his circumstances. But his chief desire was the praise of God. Verse 7. David says he is steadfast in his faith in God. Even though his circumstances are terrible. His faith is steadfast in God. So often our faith is dependent on our circumstances. But David's faith was dependent on God. On his character. On his glory. On his faithfulness. And on his love. I love what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4. Paul says, therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Because God has been merciful, because God has saved us in his love, no matter my circumstances, no matter my trial, no matter my difficulty, no matter, what I, no matter that I'm being persecuted, no matter that things are hard, we do not lose heart, Paul says. Paul and David both say our ministry, our desire to praise God is not dependent on our circumstances, but it is dependent on who God is. On his love and on his faithfulness. So we will not lose heart. We won't quit when things are difficult. But we will continue to praise God and make him known. Paul continues in 2 Corinthians 4 with how God uses difficult times to proclaim his name to the world. Paul says, for what we preach is not ourselves. But we preach Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure, we have this light, we have this good news in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed. We are perplexed but not despaired. We are persecuted but not abandoned. We are struck down but not destroyed. 
we always carry around us in our body the death of Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. And what Paul says here is that despite the challenges and difficulties of my circumstances, I am steadfast in my ministry of glorifying God and making him known. And then Paul takes it a step farther and says that the difficulties, the challenges, the hurts, the pains, the caves of this world are not detriments to the mission of making God known, but they are actually beneficial to my desire to praise God and make him known. Paul says our call, our purpose, our mission is to shine the light of God to the world around us. And we carry that light, that hope, we carry Jesus in us. And he says the cracks, the dents, the struggles, the brokenness of this life are not a detriment, but they are cracks that let that light shine through us to the world. Our challenges, our heartaches, our difficulties, our trials are just that. They are difficult. They are hard. They are sad. They hurt. But when we praise God in those times, our challenges become avenues for His light to shine to the world around us. Will you let His light shine in the cave? Will you lean on Him when life gets hard? Will you find your confidence and trust in his character, in his faithfulness when you're in the cave? What's your purpose? What's your mission? Is your purpose, is your mission comfort? Is it ease? Is it escaping the trial? Or is it praising God and making him known? What David proclaims to us is that God is worthy. God is faithful. God loves you. And he proclaims his love to you through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Your salvation is a testimony to God's faithfulness. And because of that, you, like David, can trust God, find your confidence in him, and you can praise and proclaim his name even from the mouth of the cave. But you have to make that choice. Will you continue to spread the light even when things seem dark? You have to choose to trust God and have faith in him when all you want to do is run and hide. You have to choose to believe the truth of Scripture instead of the lies of the world, and to surrender and continue to serve and love him. So as we pause and we respond, like the first question we got to think of in our lives is, what is that trial we're going through? And maybe you don't have a trial right now, and praise God for that. I think most of us do. There is something hard going on in our lives, and we have to choose to trust God in it. We have to choose, will we trust God? Will we respond differently? Will we run? Will we ignore it? Will we minimize it? Find your trust and confidence in God this week. Acknowledge your trial, but focus on who he is. Remind yourself of his promises and lift your eyes to his character. I mean, you can start right now as we wrap up by just beginning to fill out your list of God's past faithfulness. Be reminded of who he is and how faithful he's been in your life. And then secondly, can, can you praise God in the midst of your trial? This week, sing. <laughs> celebrate not your circumstances, but celebrate who God is. Celebrate His faithfulness this week. Celebrate and proclaim His goodness. Sing of His salvation, even from the mouth of the cave. And thirdly, where is God calling you to shine His light? Even in the midst of trial and pain and difficulty and heartache, who is God calling you to shine His light to this week? To proclaim His goodness, His faithfulness, His hope to and lastly, we, we always have to ask this question, but if you're here today and you're watching online, do you know Jesus, your Lord and Savior? He loves you. He gave his life for you. He is your hope. He is your salvation. Will you turn to him? 
Have you experienced his faithfulness and his love and his forgiveness? If you can't answer yes to that, would you investigate who Jesus is and whether or not you want to trust him today? Would you come and ask your questions? Would you find a friend that's a follower of Jesus and figure out who he is and whether or not he's worthy of your trust? So I'm going to pray for us, and I do. Uh, the worship team, they're going to come and lead us um, in a final song. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that even in the midst of the difficulties of this life, even in the midst of the trials and the heartaches and the hurts and the pains, even in the midst of the unknown and the uncertainty of this world, Lord, we thank you that you can be trusted. We thank you that you are still God of the universe, that you are still sovereign, that you are still good, that you still love us. Lord, we thank you that we can put our confidence, our faith in your promises, in your promises of good, in your promises of salvation, in your promises of a future. Lord, we thank you that if we are a follower of you, we've already experienced a, a foretaste of your goodness, of your salvation, of your love. Lord, we thank you that you sent Jesus to die for us, that while we were still sinners, he came and he died and he gave his life so that we can have hope in you. God, I pray that as we walk through the trials of the day-to-day, -day, Lord, that we would find our confidence in you, that we would look upon our salvation, and we would find our confidence, our hope in you. Lord, we pray that you would help us to lift our eyes from our circumstances, to lift our eyes to you who are worthy of our praise, who are trustworthy, who are good. Lord, that we would find our hope in you even in the midst of trial. To the point that we could sing, that we could proclaim your goodness with David from the mouth of the cave. That we could proclaim your goodness and sing your praises even over our enemies. Lord, would you help us to have that kind of faith? and confidence and hope in you. Lastly, Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, they might experience that steadfast love, that forgiveness, that hope, your goodness for the first time. Would you give them the courage to ask their questions, the courage to surrender and respond in faith, the courage to, to give their life to you. Lord, we thank you that's available. We thank you that, that we can have life in you that is so much greater than our trials and challenges. God, may we be a people that proclaim and sing your praises even from the mouth of the cave. God, we love you. We praise you in your name we pray. Amen.